Welcome to you if you're watching this on uh, the internet, on uh, Sermon Audio, YouTube or one of the other social media platforms. Uh, this week is slightly unusual. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, but due to some technical difficulty, uh, we are doing the recording this week uh, at uh, home. And so, that being so, I will... Uh, crack on with the reading today which is from the book of Acts obviously we're in chapter 3 so it's Acts chapter 3 right now <clears throat> and we're beginning at the first verse Acts 3 and begin the verse 1 it says this now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but... What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognised him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. <clears throat> While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name. In his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Amen. <clears throat> The Lord is our healer, by which we mean he can heal spiritually, he can heal physically, he can heal individually, or he can heal corporately, he can heal a whole nation, if he, if he so wishes. Today, we are reading about just one miracle one act of healing out of how many untold thousands we don't know of all the ones uh, carried out by the apostles and Jesus himself almost all of them were not recorded 
So we have just this one example, but this one has been recorded for us. So we shall look at the nature of the healing, what happened. We'll look at the means by which it was accomplished through the apostles. And we'll look at where the power came from. Where did the power come from that caused their healing? It was miraculous. And so that's what we intend to do today. So I have three points. And the first is this. We're going to look at the manner of the healing. We're going to look at uh, the details of the event itself. <clears throat> Luke helpfully has uh, recorded for us certain details which, which fill in the picture for us about this man in terms of his condition. Now it says that in verse uh, 2, it says, the man was lame from birth. Now, at the end of uh, this, uh, the end of this chapter, um, in fact, it was, it was halfway through actually chapter 4, it tells us that the man was in his 40s. And so this had been a lifetime disability. The man had to be carried. And so he would be carried by people placed on the floor at the beautiful gate. That sort of um, where, where the people would be funneled through and he would have a greater chance of receiving some uh, donation. <laughs> and he sat there presumably all day till it was close of business or whatever and they would come and pick him up and take him home and this was lifelong and if you have ever whether you're young and you've suffered from some season of immobility or you're old and that is your lot right now that you are uh, lacking in mobility you are and you are maybe having to use a stick to walk with or it may be someone might be in a wheelchair they may just be very slow and aching whenever they walk and you think about that I, I would encourage you to think about think about what you can do um, so if you are able to walk from your door to the car you can walk further than this man could and is that not something to be thankful for be thankful for what we do have, no matter what our condition. This man's example should cause us to be thankful for what we do have. But tr try, if you would, try to imagine an entire lifetime of not being able to walk. A baby that can't, uh, a toddler who can't uh, learn to walk like the other children. Um, uh, a, a child who can't play out with all the other kids. You know, a man who grows up and can't work. Forty odd years of this. And this is... Um, it's... Yeah, it should make us thankful. And it should make us think, imagine if I'd had my present immobility for my whole life. How much worse it would be. We, we see as well that Luke records for us some important things about the reaction to what happened. We see, we see words like filled with wonder, 
There's thousands of people here filled with, with wonder and amazement. They recognised the man. They'd walked past him countless times, maybe given him some money, sometimes maybe not, but they knew him well. And he was so well known that this really makes uh, any denial of this miracle just, it's just, um, it's, it's just inconceivable really that this could be a parlor trick of any type. This man was known with a lifelong disability and now he's bouncing round the temple. <laughs> I mean, it's undeniable that the great miracle had taken place. In fact, the people, when they found out where Peter was and John was, they, they, they found that he's over here and they all ran, maybe hundreds, maybe more, all ran to where Peter and John were. They wanted to know what on earth was going on. You know, for for some people, they will, you know, they would never have seen anything remotely like this. Some people may have uh, have seen seen um, maybe Jesus doing a miracle, perhaps. But there was great excitement, and that is that is the that is the point really. If you'd like to turn to uh, Isaiah for a moment, turn to Isaiah thirty-five, we see an Old Testament reference. Not specifically to this event, but to some, it makes some reference to this sort of thing. And so we need to have a think about where this fits in, where prophecies like this fit in. And so in Isaiah 35 and verses uh, 5 and 6, we see this. It says, of, a, of, a, of some future state, it, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, the deaf unstopped. Then shall a lame man leap like a deer. Well, that's certainly what was going on here. The man was leaping around the courts of the temple like a deer. <laughs> and, um, yeah, a notable miracle this uh, certainly was. And... Let's not let's not uh, underestimate uh, what what this miracle meant to, to the man. It meant everything. It was uh, he'd been given, you could call it a brand new life. You could call it a second chance. What, whatever we call it, this was the biggest, single biggest thing that had ever happened to this man. Suddenly, those decades of begging for money were gone. This man could walk, he could run, he could do what men of his age should be able to do. And there he was, and maybe maybe even now thinking about, I, I have a life, I can get married here. I, I could maybe have children, I could, I could, I could work, and it's a whole new life ahead of him. It meant everything to him, and we shouldn't underestimate the, the, the significance in that respect, but... We need to understand that both the prophecies, like Isaiah's, and the individual acts of healing that we see in the New Testament, they are indicators of something far, far bigger, far, far uh, greater, by which I mean they, they point to salvation, 
in Jesus Christ, spiritual salvation. And it also, not only salvation found in Christ, but these type of things, they uh, validated the ministry of the apostles whom Christ had chosen, the ones who would begin to unfurl the, the, the kingdom of God unfurled the New Testament church, the, the golden age of the gospel, however you want to call it. And it was important in that it pointed to something far, far bigger, bigger than this man understood, bigger than I guess even Peter and John appreciated. Something huge on the horizon. And I think it is worth noting here that this miracle did not convey any did not confer any uh, supernatural powers uh, didn't turn the man into a superhuman he didn't have uh, ankles and feet that would last for a thousand years or anything like that the man was restored to if you like uh, the normal state you would expect from the average man in his 40s in other words able to walk and run a short distance perhaps but do those do those active things and we, we shouldn't think there was anything more than that we should fully expect that what happened to this man was that he got older and the ravages of old age would begin to afflict him and he would start to decline in his mobility and perhaps even the ankles and the feet would start to give way, maybe the hips. Maybe he lost his mobility so much that he ended up as immobile as when he was begging on the streets. That may have been the case. Now the scriptures don't, don't tell us what happened to him. But I'm saying that uh, we're not to think that the miracle did anything other than uh, heal him at that time. He would go into decline in his body and perhaps his mind. And if he lived long enough, it would get more and more serious. And then eventually, as with all men, he would die. He did die. And he, like everyone else, had to taste the fuller effects of the fall and sin the sin that he partook in <laughs> during his life as a as a human being he, he sinned and God has determined that we will all uh, taste uh, the, the the awful effects of, of that fall in our demise and our death but still there was a healing and it pointed to something grand a grand plan of God's which we should go into a bit more in a short while so we've looked at the, the details if you like surrounding the healing so uh, I want to go on now having looked at the manner of the healing I want to look at the instruments of the healing the instruments what what or who did God use as instruments to bring about this healing and of course it was the apostles it's the ones whose ministry has been uh, validated partly by this very miracle 
It's the apostles. It's those whom God uh, in Christ um, chose, chose to uh, bear the standard for this New Testament church. And um, I think it's very notable here, Peter and John's uh, faith, it's very notable. It's um, something uh, something we, we covered, that type of faith we have here. We have here um, Peter and John, and, and perhaps at some point on the way to the temple there was some revelation from God. I mean, after all, there were other beggars. Peter and John had walked past this man themselves, being in the habit of praying in the temple. They, they knew this man, they'd been past him. And But now, for some reason, we can only guess that maybe God has revealed it to them on the way that I want you to I want you to heal this man today. Now it appears that there was some um, some awareness of what was going to happen. They 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 stopped whereas perhaps normally they they would say, Oh here's some change or the guy says, Can you spare some change? Maybe they say, We haven't got anything today, sorry. But today that they look and they, Peter says, look at me, or look at us. Uh, and Peter says, you know, the, the guy's thinking, I'm going to get some money now. Peter says, uh, I don't have any money. don't have any silver pieces or any gold pieces. So the man's probably thinking then, why are you bothering me? <laughs> uh, but Peter says, uh, what I do have. I'm going to give that to you. And he takes him by the hand and says, get up. Stand up on your own two feet. And I, I can only imagine what it was like for the man as he as he felt something happening in his, in, in his bones, in his ankles. Maybe so he felt some regeneration or some strength coming back, some straightening of, of the ankles, whatever it was. He, he was confident that he could stand up. Possibly the first time he'd stood on his own two feet in his entire life. And off he went, let go of Peter's hand and off he went, skipping or whatever. And we just think, what what, what faith that, uh, that Peter and John had that this was going to happen. There was no question about it. There was no hesitation. They knew and... and what, what a thing it would be to have such faith as that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had this great uh, faith, how it would transform our prayer lives? We, we have faith. We, 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 we have such faith that we're so close to God. We not only know his will, but we make our requests to him with an absolute certainty of unanswered prayer. And as you know, that faith, that measure of faith is directly proportional to the the um, the answer to your prayer being given by God. And so we can imagine how, how our prayer lives would be improved if we had such faith. And think about how such faith would help us uh, with our hope, our great hope of the resurrection. Can you imagine... Uh, with the faith that saw the resurrection of the body uh, t- 
to be as uh, certain as uh, as if you were going on holiday. It was certain. You would be excited about it. You would be counting down the days. Can you imagine having that level of excitement for the resurrection? Christians would no longer be doing their utmost to prolong the time on this earth as much as possible to, you know, as, as if as if we, we had to do everything we could to avoid uh, meeting God. But certainly uh, we have tasks to do and we should submit to God for however long he wants us to be working on this earth. But certainly that faith would give us such an expectation. We would be joyful. We would be excited really excited about what was coming and for that reasons for those reasons I, I would say to you use your prayer time to pray for faith we've been given the go-ahead to pray for the Holy Spirit and connected with that is a prayer for increased faith and I am confident that when we are told to um, pray for those specific things we can be very confident that God will do that so make that a habit. Lord, you know, increase our faith. Um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Pray that God would build you up in that most holy faith. Peter uh, gives us um, gives us that nice example of of, of, of great faith there. Um, and we of course we include we include uh, John. The silent one there, we include uh, him. Peter now, in his uh, speech that he's begun, he goes on to deliver three great hammer blows to the Jewish audience. Three great uh, criticisms centred around Christ Jesus. We find them in verses 13, 14 and 15. And so he starts to accuse them and he, he says, you people, think about what you've done. You handed Jesus over to the authorities when the authorities in the person of Pilate, hardly the most uh, Christ-like figure in Jerusalem, when he had uh, fully uh, accepted the 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 the, the, the righteous behaviour of this man Jesus of Nazareth, and was wanted to let him go. Pilate knew he was a, a righteous man, but they they handed him over. Something back to front. Peter goes on to show them how just how back to front this was. He says, "You people chose to have a murderer." let loose and have the righteous man put to death how, how incredibly stupid that, that that is you requested that they release the the, the gangster to, to come and, and walk on the streets again but keep that good man, that good man that performed miracles and helped people and was kind. We want him we want him dead. You know? What level of insanity 
would cause people to choose a thug over a nice man. It's the hardness of man's heart. And then the, the final blow is you killed him. You killed the author of life. How tragically ironic that is. That you, they, he, he, he says to them, uh, <laughs> the, the very author of life, of your life, and your life, the lives of all of us, you persecuted them and killed him. Peter doesn't hold back here. He doesn't enter into this this modern philosophy in the churches where, oh well, we all killed Jesus. We can't blame the Jews. We all killed Jesus. Well, that's very romantic. It's not uh, accurate. The apostles didn't say, you killed them, but, you know, we're, we're just as guilty. We're just as guilty of Jesus' death. That's just not a biblical idea, no matter how nice it is. The fact is, Peter rightly condemned that group of people because for the most part they were either actively involved or tacitly supporting the murder of a good man their own messiah and so he lays into them and then he says but god raised him god raised jesus christ despite all the efforts of men and devils to put an end to him god raised him and he raised him from that grave and he welcomed him. He welcomed Jesus back into that Trinitarian seat of authority in the heavens to rule uh, until all his enemies are put under his feet. That's what God did. And we um, really, we respect uh, the, um, we respect Peter's forthrightness and the apostles' faith, and insofar as they were instruments of the healing, then this is what we want God to do with us. Surely, God, we want God to use us as instruments for healing. And I don't mean raising people from the dead, making blind people see again. I mean the more important healing which is the one that has eternal consequences. We've spoken about the manner of the healing and the instruments of the healing and we'll look at the author of the healing. We'll look at now the author of the healing, the one who's behind it all. Behind it all. If the apostles were instruments or tools, who was the user? Who was the one using those instruments? Well, it's God himself. We said it's God himself. Dare we say it was Jesus? Well, uh, the logic uh, by which uh, I, uh, I, I will claim that the apostles understood just who Jesus was in the end. It may have taken some time, but they come to... Uh, see Jesus as divine and it's to do with what they witnessed in his life it's to do with the things he said it's to do with divine revelation which gradually opened their minds and their hearts more and more so that they could understand to a greater degree the nature of this person they've spent the last few years with 
It's to do with how the, the Greek translation of the scriptures, the Septuagint, how that used the same word for the Lord God in heaven as the disciples used for Jesus. Now remember, the disciples, the apostles, Jesus, the early church, their main version of the Bible was the Septuagint. And, and that being the case, the apostles knew quite well that when they called Jesus Lord, they understood what they were saying. They were calling him Jehovah. So they, they understood that. And it's for that reason that we can say that the titles of God in the scriptures, in the Old Testament even, like <clears throat> Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Sekenyu, Jehovah Rafis, Rafis, I can't even say it. The last one is uh, the Lord, um, the Lord our healer. And so all these great Jehovah names, including that one I think is in Exodus, uh, that one says, the Lord who heals you. So the Lord here, and we can apply that to Jesus Christ. And so it's fair for us to say that the author of the healing was Jesus Christ. Using instruments of his own choosing, the apostles, to perform the miracle. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord who heals you. Jesus was killed by them. How, how um, God manifest in the flesh can be healed uh, is, uh, is not at all clear to me. I, I believe it. I believe it because of the scriptures and um, it's, clearly, it's clearly a logical part in that whole uh, storyline of redemption and salvation but it's it's not natural for us to think that the god of heaven who created the cosmos can exist in the form of a man it doesn't make much sense it's through faith that we believe it and they uh, they killed him and we don't really know what it means for the Son of God to, to, to die. And we won't go into that today either. But there was certainly a killing involved. There was certainly a death involved and a descent into that grave. But Peter says, as I, as I mentioned, Peter said, but God raised him up. God raised him up and glorified him. Not, not only that, P Peter says, God raised him up and glorified him by the power of the God you believe in, your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers. <laughs> he is the one who uh, glorified the Son. He is the one who, through whom Jesus worked, if you like, who, who, from whom he had his commission and so you had this curious situation where uh, the one behind all this was the very God that they worshipped and they resisted it. 
And this is why Peter taunts them and says, why are you so surprised? Why are you so shocked that this could happen? You believe the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, is he not an all-powerful God? Have I not told you how he endorsed the ministry of Christ and uh, commended him uh, to people as the Messiah, as, as the one they'd been waiting for and as the Lord of heaven? So Peter says, you shouldn't be surprised. It's the power of your God is behind all this. I would mention something else about uh, Jesus Christ and this healing now. Uh, him being the one behind it. Now I've said that, that these healings point to something much grander. But still, we remember not only what it meant to the man himself. We remember too the, the significance of this as an act of love. Now the disciple, the apostles have been uh, coached by Jesus they've been taught by him and one of the prime things was about love he says to them love the people who are are nice and love the horrible people as well love your friends and your enemies pray for the people who despise you and persecute you he says and so uh, they taking him up on this they, they perform this miracle now uh, however Pete and John were prompted to carry out this uh, act of healing there's no doubt that there was there was love in it there was love in the, the in the apostles hearts as they uh, found a way to express that love that their master had encouraged them in and so this was an act of love We've looked at the manner of the healing, the instruments of the healing, and also uh, the author of it all. And really, I, I indicated earlier that all the healings are pointing to something else. Now, it's customary within Reformed circles to say that, well, these physical healings point to spiritual healing. And that is true, but it is only partly true. We need to think of these things pointing to holistic, holistic salvation, entire salvation. That's what we need to think about. Now, certainly we know man's state, man's state as he comes into this world is just, it's just man is vile. Man is polluted. Man has a bias towards evil. He has a tendency towards uh, violence. He has this natural inclination towards degradation and all things which offend God. It's only by the, <laughs> it's only by the the, the, the the grace of God that people are not entirely left to their own devices because this world would be hell. This would be a, an eternal hell uh, already uh, because... Um, People would just uh, ruthlessly abuse and kill and probably eat each other uh, if God didn't restrain them. You know, such is the 
nature of uh, total depravity as I see it is uh, is what it it's what it sounds like so man's in that state and then out of that cesspool of sin which is mankind God pulls out a person here and a person there and he picks them up and he plants them on dry ground and he cleans them off and he gives them his very own righteousness and he tells them that their sins are forgiven and he promises them eternal life and he uses them people those people he uses as instruments brand new instruments these are the instruments he will use in this day and age and this is you and me friend if you're a believer this is you and me we are presently one of those instruments that God is using now this is why we're here now to be used by him and we should make ourselves available to be used and do it with enthusiasm while we can and uh, so God picks us out and makes us his instruments instruments to do something not, not merely to you know attend worship on a Sunday morning or for the real zealots twice on a Sunday wow that that's that that's not it that's part of it but he wants us to be zealous as instruments to be used for a number of things it's not just fellowship and the life of the church in that respect but our witness to the world this is our time this is the only time we have to be witnesses to the world and this is our job as his holy sanctified instruments and so we go out and so we we, we wherever we can we in work or in uh, social gatherings or within family get-togethers we do what we can we do what we can to give a reason for the hope that is within us and we tell people that it's in there uh, you know we tell people about jesus christ and we we, we do that with that same uh, authority by which peter healed that man peter says in the name of christ by all the authority conveyed to us by christ then uh, in his name in that in that power in that name uh, rise up and walk and so we go out and we tell people and we we have the authority of jesus to do that and god will use us in fact god only uses us to find and to bring in his elect people he uses us to do that And what's the result of that? Well, in the case of God's elect, there is salvation. In the case of those who are not his elect, there is a hardening of their hearts. They will harden their own hearts. God will harden their hearts. And he will uh, withhold his Holy Spirit from them. And they will not be converted. But God will successfully save every single one who he determined to all his people will be brought into the fold salvation and it that's a glorious end 
forgiveness of sins, eternal life, that is a glorious end. But it is not the end of the story. There's one more chapter. Because, friends, it is not only the redemption of our persons, our conscious beings, that is at issue. It is the redemption also of our bodies. And this is why I use the term holistic, entire salvation. It means that when we read about a healing in Scripture, it should prompt us to not only think about not only think about forgiveness of sins and our experience of God now, but also to to to, to view the healing as a, a preview, perhaps of the life that is to come when all disabilities will be eradicated well illness will never ever take hold on a person again this is the type of world that we should be prompted to think about when we when we hear about healings in the scripture we should think about jesus redeeming us in every way possible and it's on that basis that we can say that in every way, in every way, uh, by Jesus' wounds, by his suffering, his pain, and his eventual death, we can say that we have been healed, that we are being healed, and that we will be healed completely in the future entirely and forever the lord bless you all as you consider these things amen